With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome in Rose City to the Soccer Made in Portland podcast. I'm Ryan Clark, joined by Chris Reifer. It is Thorns playoff week, uh, headed into the semis. The Thorns taking on the San Diego Wave on Sunday for a spot in the NWSL championship match the following Saturday. Uh, Chris, what are your general vibes as we head into to this uh, complicated playoff game slash event slash reckoning? The vibes are complicated, man. <laughs> I think complicated is the right word. The vibes are really complicated. Uh, yeah, they're complicated. Uh, <laughs> uh, I think there are things going every which way. I, I think there's excitement about an important playoff game. I think there's uh, there's uncertainty about exactly how it's going to look. Uh, I think there's certainly in, 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 in many corners, in many, many corners, uh, a lot of anger and disappointment and frustration, uh, and all of those things. And so I think, I think the vibes are going every which way. And for a lot of different reasons, uh, I think there, there's even sort of on field, uh, disappointment that the thorns are coming in as the two seed and have a home game against San Diego. That's going to be in its own right, complicated, uh, instead of a home game against Kansas city, that would have seemed substantially more favorable if the thorns had been able to get a result at Gotham. And so, yeah, the the vibes are really complicated, and and I think that puts into focus uh, the difficult task that that Rain Wilkinson uh, and and the Thorns have in front of them to to sort of sort through those very complicated vibes uh, and and come out and put in a, the performance that they'll need to put in in order to beat San Diego, which will be it will have to be very good uh, if they want to go to the title game. Yeah, San Diego is a formidable team, and and probably uh, save for OL Reign, the toughest matchup that uh, that Portland could have hoped for uh, in, in this playoff. So you got Alex Morgan and Taylor Corniak leading the way, Naomi Gurma, who's nominated for every award under the sun in NWSL, and is probably going to win a couple of them. Yeah, uh, she'll probably a win a couple. In, of I think easily. for Rookie of the Year, uh, and I think probably Defender of the Year, and certainly a leading candidate for Defender of the Year. Yeah, Becky Sauerbrunn among those Defender of the Year nominees, uh, Sophia Smith a nominee for MVP, and and one would think the odds-on favorite. I don't believe that there are any particular Vegas odds out there for for those awards, but uh, if I had to put them together, I would say she's probably the odds-on favorite, uh, just based on the, the online chatter I've seen, based on my own personal evaluation of her performance this year. Um, 
among those candidates, I think she she's the most likely to win it, but we'll see. She would be the youngest ever NWSL MVP, surpassing Crystal Dunn, her teammate, who won it uh, back when she played for the Spirit a few years back. And so um, it would be a, a really defining moment for the for the club to have another MVP. Lindsay Horan won the the first ever MVP for the Thorns a few years ago. Uh, and then, you know, Sam Coffey also nominated for Rookie of the Year. Uh, tough race to be in when you've got Naomi Gurma there. So, you know, it, in any other year, Coffey would probably be the the, the runaway yeah. with, with that award. But Gurma is just on another level as far as rookies go. And she's a big reason why this, uh, this wave team has had such a, a great season. So you're the movie guy, between the two of us we've established that really difficult uh year for for sam coffee and the rookie of the year race is there a a like best picture runner-up that like in in many or any other year would have been sort of a shoe-in for best picture that you can think of that sort of is is the sam coffee equivalent i would say a star is born just because of my own personal uh connection to that film which i'm thoroughly obsessed with (laughs) um it it didn't win the oscar for best picture that year, and I thought personally that it was a travesty uh, because it lost a Green Book, which I thought was just this like, you know, surface level, not really like genuine, you know, movie that that everybody thought had this like, you know, wonderful uniting message, and I think that was definitely the intent, but I'm not sure it did anything more than make a few people feel good about themselves and pat themselves on the back for going to see it. That's just my take. I don't want, I don't mean to, you know, disparage green book at length here on this podcast, but I I would say that um, you can't compare Naomi Gurma to green book. Naomi Gurma. That's (laughs) that's what I was going to challenge you on. Yeah. Deserving in her her own right. She is thoroughly deserving. And and so um, that when you say best picture runner ups that, that would otherwise be deserving, um, I, I don't think that year is a particularly good example, but you know, it was the first one that came to mind for me because of my my personal love of a star is born, and I think a star was born in Sam Coffee this year, so we, yeah. we saw it on the field. Yeah, I, I very much agree. Uh, the other person who very much agrees is Vlato and Andonovsky, who Vlatko Andonovsky, it's it's the morning, man. Give me a break. Uh, <laughs> saying words is hard at this point. Uh, who not only shouted out uh, Sam Coffee as a potential rookie of the year candidate, he actually said that she he thought she should be in the in the running for MVP, uh, which speaks very very highly uh, of what he thinks of Coffee. She, by the way, has also started getting more playing time with the women's national team, uh, and, and something that I, I I think is likely to grow over the course. Uh, of the next months and years as well. So, uh, so that, that is a view shared, uh, shared by others, uh, including some, some important people in, in the soccer world. But yeah, I mean, the, you know, the, this game has, has all the narratives. It has all the stakes. I also think there are some real lineup questions for the thorns. First being, it looks like coffee is now back fully healthy from the, the ankle knock, the ankle calf. Did we get ever get clarification on what it was knock that she took, uh, ankle ankle uh, against the Red Stars. It looks like she's fully healthy. She played half an hour in both of the women's national team uh, friendlies over the course of the break. She's also had now what three or four weeks. That game is quite a while ago uh, to to bounce back from that. So you'd think that she would be back in pen uh, in the starting 11. But I think there are reasonable questions about about what the Thorns do. Otherwise, one question in the back of my mind has been. 
Do we see Crystal Dunn starting to get stretched out into starters minutes? Do you do that at this stage? Uh, I think if this were a regular season game, it would be a pretty easy yes. That this is, she's had a number of of sort of 30-minute performances, both with the Thorns and now with the national team. Uh, that, you know, I mean, the natural progression now would be to, to start her and get her an hour uh, uh, of playing time. So if this were any other regular season game, uh, I think the answer would be yes, she will almost certainly be in the lineup. I think for me, the most natural place for her uh, is in central midfield, basically taking the spot of Christine Sinclair. Uh, I think that is the Thorns best team. Uh, the central midfield of Sam Coffey, Rocky Rodriguez, uh, and Crystal Dunn with, uh, Sugita and Weaver on the wings and Sophia Smith, of course, up top. Uh, that to me is, is the best front six that the Thorns have. That, if I were Reen Wilkinson, is the team that I would really, 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 really want to play. But do you make that change at this stage of the season? Uh, and do you have the confidence yet that that Dunn is sort of back and ready to play uh, an hour? Ryan, what are your thoughts? Um, I think it might be potentially a, a risk. You know, you, you have the continuity of, of having started Christine Sinclair and in some cases other players at that position throughout the year. Um, and, and, and it would be a change for sure. It would be something that, you know, even though Crystal Dunn has had this time to, to build herself up and, and to get to match fitness, um, she would still be in that type of adjustment period. Uh, and, and I'm not sure there's as much leeway for that in a, in a playoff game as there would be otherwise, if you had a couple more games to try and integrate her in that way. I don't, personally think it will happen but i would not be totally surprised if if it did only because crystal dunn is is such an elite player um and and she you you saw her really begin to round into form uh in those u.s women's national team games she's somebody who could be a game changer if she does start a game or if she even plays a a half you know it, it, it would be exciting and and i think that she is someone that um, in this game and the potential championship game, she'll play a lot of minutes, how that works out. I, I'm not quite sure yet. And, you know, I, I think the answer is probably no, you don't start her for, uh, for in, in the semifinal in part because you have the potential of extra time. Right. And so you can, you, you can feel like that she can come in at the hour or so. And and be an infusion of fresh legs, sort of uh, in in the last half hour of regulation, but then also potentially be uh, in the game, relatively fresh and able to impact things in extra time as well. And so, I think the the sort of super sub role in in these kinds of games is is magnified somewhat. Uh, and and so I think that makes it so that that is probably the path of least resistance. And not making major changes uh, to the Thorns starting eleven uh, in uh, to to start this game, but I do think that temptation is still there. <laughs> I do think that that is still uh, a thought that that probably should be in the back of Reen Wilkinson's mind, even if I think she's likely to to sort of sort of uh, stick with the horse that brung her, so to speak, uh, with that starting eleven. The other question I have. Uh, is in light of some of the the, the struggles uh, at the back against Gotham, do the Thorns make a change to the back line? Emily Mangus is back healthy and would has now been back healthy for a little bit. Would seem to be again in that period in that sort of period where you'd expect her 
to be able to step back into the starting 11. Is that a move uh, you consider? My answer is probably not. Uh, I, I, I'm, I'm firmer on this one than I am on the other. Uh, I, I think you, you rightfully have a lot of confidence, uh, in that back four that has been playing very, very well by and large with the exception, uh, of the game at Gotham. And there were other issues at Gotham, not just in, in sort of, especially in central defense, there were other issues, uh, at Gotham where the thorns really got exploited wide and there's not really a. Uh, an obvious switch to make there unless you're going to do something like Tegan McGrady for, uh, for Megan Klingenberg, but I don't see a lot of momentum toward doing that. Um, so I tend to, uh, I think the technical word is poo poo. The idea of, uh, of making a change on, on the back line. Uh, are, are you with me on that too? Very adult podcast we have here yes, to, yes. to um, be utilizing terms <laughs> like that. But um, I, I think you stick with Klingenberg. I, I don't think that any sort of – I think Mangus would be an excellent substitute late in a game for somebody like Klingenberg because yeah, like if you Christine go to Sinclair. Three, uh, if, yes. you want, if you want to go to a three uh, and at the back and, and, and firm things up a little bit there, uh, I agree. I, I think that's a move that that may well make sense. Right, because you know Klingenberg is somebody that's like Christine Sinclair. She's a solid veteran contributor, but you know playing her a full ninety in a playoff match uh, against a, a San Diego team that is going to be very forward all night long, uh, and and is going to tuck her out that back line. You know, um, maybe not Kelly Hubley. She's the Iron Woman. She doesn't really get bothered, right. but uh, and neither really is the case for Becky Sauerbrunn, who's up for Defender of the Year as a veteran. But you know, it's it's really a matter of um, of personnel continuity. Excuse me, personnel continuity for uh, for this Thorns team because I think that's what has has led to a lot of their success is having having the same group out there that uh, that knows each other that uh, that brought them to this point in their season where they uh, are contending for a championship. You know, you, you have a one home game to win. And you're in the championship match. And and how do you want to do that? I think you do that with what has worked for you so far. Uh, the, the question will be um, how different the Thorns will be in this San Diego matchup versus the last one that they played. Um, the Thorns were very tired last time uh, San Diego came to town at Providence Park. San Diego won that match 2-0. Uh, that was the sixth game in the month for the Thorns, including a disappointing and frustrating uh, Women's International Champions Cup that they uh, participated in right before that. Well, I think it's important to to note that these teams are really on level pegging, uh, and that game is proof of that. Uh, I don't think it is necessarily the the defining game that says, oh, well, maybe San Diego has the advantage. Where I would say that San Diego has the advantage is, you know, momentum and vibes right now, right? Their because, vibes are a lot less complicated than the Oh, yeah. <laughs> they're they're very, like, chill, very, like, you know, very, playing very with house San, money. Very San Diegan, uh, if you will. Just, like, chill, relaxed. Yeah. There is a marine layer over their vibes right now, and it's it's <laughs> it's uh it's keeping things cool as as they say, um and and you know coming off of an emotional uh, extra time win where Alex Morgan scores scores an amazing goal at the end there, um 
you know, most teams may be like emotionally drained by something like that and then put out a rough performance in the next match. But I do not think that's going to be the case for San Diego. I think they're going to ride that into this game. And you have to consider, and, and this is something that we can talk about in greater depth, that the Wave, while they also have a lot to digest from the Sally Yates report, um, it's a very different situation when it comes to their specific yeah, franchise. Yeah, no question. And, and so the Thorns are um, are dealing with that mentally, and, and that can't be ignored, and, you know... It can't be dismissed as a distraction either. I think that it's something that is inherently going to impact this game, is overcoming that mental adversity of the the really troublesome and tumultuous last couple of weeks that the Thorns have had to face. And here are a couple other sort of factors that I think sort of lend themselves into what are very genuinely some crosswinds for the, the Thorns heading into this game. The, the first is... Does the layoff that the Thorns have had help them? Uh, you know, San Diego has now played a game uh, after the international break. Obviously, they they won their their quarterfinal, uh, and uh, and and so they've sort of shaken off some any of the rust uh, that was there from uh, from the international break, and they're going to be on full rest, right? Because they played last weekend, they're not playing until Sunday, and so San Diego is going to be on full rest now. Does that benefit San Diego? Because the Thorns haven't played in, they will not have played in what, three weeks? Uh, when when they take the field, this is something that we see all the time in MLS, especially with one seeds in the MLS Cup playoffs, where one seeds often fare pretty poorly in their first game, even though it's a home game. Uh, and even Watch out LAFC. Yeah, <laughs> El Trafico well, might be a little complicated for yeah, that very reason. Yeah, uh, and and Colorado against the, the Timbers last year. Uh, Colorado was, was pretty consistently, I mean, they, they won the West, so this is not a hot take, but they were a very good team, uh, against the Timbers last year or uh, leading up to, to the game against the Timbers last year, the Timbers were on short rest, uh, coming in, uh, after winning their, their opening round game, uh, and Colorado looked like they had the initiative for a bit, but ultimately the Timbers overwhelmed them. And that's not, I mean, that, that is an anecdote. It, it is one example, but it's not the only time that's happened. And so it is very much uh, a, a pretty consistent talking point when you have a situation like this where you have a single elimination playoff and you have a higher seed that is coming off what is a buy and whether that actually benefits the higher well, yeah, seed. Yeah, that I mean, it happened to the Thorns last year. Yeah. For you sure. know, Chicago came in after their um, their quarterfinal matchup, and uh, they they beat the Thorns at Providence Park, a, a shield winning Thorns team that that one could argue had a more complete roster even than this Thorns team. So it's um, it's a lot to to deal with in terms of the psychology of having that time off. Does it really benefit you? Yeah, does it really benefit you? And then the other thing that I think is is worth noting, and and uh, to be clear, I have no idea how all of the, these 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 complicated vibes, the menagerie of factors that we have uh, going into uh, into this game are, are going to shake out. I genuine I genuinely look at this as as sort of a mystery box uh, uh, in terms of what we're going to get, uh, and, and what we're going to see on, on Sunday, uh, and certainly an anxiety inducing mystery box. But the last, uh, possibility that I think is genuinely a possibility is that there's a little bit of a rallying around the flag fa- effect for the thorns. Uh, they have had a number of really central players 
be very public uh, and be really strong leaders. Talking about Becky, the Becky Sauerbrunns, the Sophia Smiths, the, the 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 Bella Bixby's of the world, have all been been really. Have, I think in the last couple of weeks have all demonstrated the kind of leadership that can get a team through complicated vibes like this, and can bring them out as a more cohesive, more unified group uh, after going through something like what this team has gone through in the last three weeks. Uh, since the Yates report was released. And so I, I think that is that is also a possibility uh, that instead of instead of being shell-shocked, that they may in fact be quite cohesive, uh, rallying around the leadership that they've seen from multiple players. Yeah, they're lucky to have the leadership that they have. I, th- I think that that's not something if they, if that... If they didn't, I, I mean, I would be pretty close to saying this is, this is you know, a... a it going to be a very difficult game. <laughs> um, maybe, maybe an unwinnable one if they didn't have this kind of leadership. This right. leadership like if, is really critical. It is. It's huge. And and the if they were a young, unproven team that didn't really have a whole lot of you know players that have been there before, I would be in that same boat. I'd be like, yeah, these off field distractions are just going to bury them because we've seen it happen so often in sports. But I, I think that this moment can be galvanizing for this Thorns team. I think it can be one that they they can push away everything else that has happened in the last couple of weeks or even use it as a motivating tool to say, hey, we're still here. We still had an incredible season. We, we're one of the best teams in NWSL, if not the entire global women's soccer landscape. Let's go out there and show it. Let's Let's go get... Uh, Christine Sinclair a ring before her career potentially comes to an end. Let's let's show everybody to be clear, why another ring. Yes, another ring. Of course. Yeah, she's she's not in a Carmelo Anthony type of situation no, where she, she's she, yeah. She she's got a couple things in that in that trophy case uh, in, she, in her she, house. Yeah, she doesn't need any more. She would like them. It would be in addition to what I think has been a storied career. But uh, yeah, I mean, there's there's motivations all over the place showing off the fact that Sophia Smith is a global superstar and having her do it in a playoff setting, uh, especially if she ends up winning the MVP, which we should find out about uh, by the end of of next week, uh, going into that championship match, whether the Thorns are in it or not uh, in the days leading up, we will know. But, you know, this is really an opportunity, too, for Rian Wilkinson to to say, hey, like, I, I took over this team and led them to greatness despite all of the challenges that that were inherent in doing so no question about it uh the i you know and the, i mean it truly would be sort of a, a feather in the cap of all of those leaders from Rune wilkinson to the num- number of leaders on, on the roster if they are able to to get the team into a place where they're going to be up to this very big challenge uh, on, on Sunday, that would be that goes on the resume. Nothing the Timbers did goes on the resume. That would go on the resume for 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 those folks, and I think for this team, that uh, is shoot. Yeah, that that is shoot exactly. Oh, uh, <laughs> uh, unlike their 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 counterparts on the other side of the club, <laughs> that ain't shoot. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so uh, so yeah, I, I I think that would be that would be huge in terms of the way this game plays out. I'm really interested to see what the Thorns do. 
to sort of make the next chess move to counter the impact of Taylor Korniak uh, and and the impact that she had in particular on the Thorns central midfield uh, the last time San Diego visited Portland. She dominated that game and largely because she dominated central midfield physically, technically, in every way. Uh, and and what the Thorns answer for that is going to be, I think, is is gonna is gonna be huge. How do the thorns? Uh, how, how do the, the thorns do it? I agree with you that t- the tired legs in that game were a big, big factor. They had a really difficult road game two days before at North Carolina. You're right; they were coming off the ICC. Uh, they had all of those things, and so that was a factor to be sure. The thorns on that day just didn't look like they had the gas in the tank to beat a good team like San Diego. But even notwithstanding gas in the tank, there were real tactical and 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 sort of just real kind of inherent uh, things that that the wave were able to take advantage of uh, that Rain Wilkinson needs to have an answer for. She's had some time to think about it <laughs> because she's had these, these three weeks. She's had a full week knowing it's going to be a wave, the wave, and three weeks knowing that it's there's a decent chance it's going to be the wave, uh, given that the the wave were, were I think, pretty strongly favored uh, to come out of that game against the Red Stars uh, and, and, and make the semifinal. And so this has certainly been on her mind, and I'm interested to see what the answer is going to be uh, in terms of how the Thorns make sure they lock down central midfield so that the Wave aren't able to find those through balls, like to Alex Morgan, uh, that they were uh, able to capitalize on uh, when they were in Portland a couple months ago. So that, to me, is, is, is probably the biggest tactical thing that I'm going to be looking at to see how the Thorns manage it. Uh, and how they approach this game. Uh, is there anything else you know, sort of on the field that jumps out to you uh, as something that you think is going to be, you know, sort of a, a harbinger of how the game is going to go? I, I think that which version of the Thorns attack shows up is going to be a, a big determining factor. I, I think this has the potential to be a barn burner, a, a three to two or even hell, a four to three game. Uh, I could totally see that that heck, playing out. Heck, a four to three game. Come on. We're good. We're fine. Everything's fine. But <laughs> the, the H E double hockey sticks, like you can say that on TV, right? Oh yeah, Stephen A. Smith says it all the time. He right. he says uh, he says well, other things too. Yeah, is, is Stephen A. really who you know the 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 kind of of take Smith uh, that that you want to uh, want to craft yourself after, model yourself after? I mean, not even remotely, but he is definitely <laughs> the the bar for like how far you can go, right? right in terms fair. of of media, and I think we have further that we can even go in podcast than we could on television. So that's, uh, let, let let's that's, keep that's that also in fair. Mind. We're not going Joe Rogan on you though, so don't worry no. about that. No, we're not. We're not going to complain about how our voices are being silenced when we have the largest podcast on that's, earth. That's exactly right. Uh, looking forward to getting my booster here uh, pretty soon. Just FYI. Yeah, me too. Yeah, uh, same. Same here. Uh, so, one uh, one other potential um, uh, note uh, that we will get to momentarily after after a quick point on on the thorns attack um, it is about the donations uh, that that are going to happen as far as the ticket. Uh, revenues go so stick around for that but uh back to the original point that that you wanted me to get to before criticizing my uh choice of language was uh the uh the attack you know there's been games this year that the thorns have um you know they've had like 20 shots or whatever but they they finish very sparsely or they they squander opportunities that given the personnel they have have got to be sure goals 
Um, that was the case for a stretch during the Gotham game. Uh, that was definitely an issue last time San Diego played them. That had more to do, again, with tired legs. But um, there have been other games throughout this year, racing Louisville, Rossing Louisville. Uh, the first half of that game, they were... Uh, they were unable to finish and, you know, they turned it on in the second half and, and won by a lot because Louisville isn't very good, but you know, it, it, it can't be like that in this game. You can't have 45 minutes of incompetence followed by making up the gaps. Uh, this San Diego team, uh, with all of the amazing individual players they have and, and the way that they play, uh, you're not going to be able to get away with that. You got to play a full 90 and play a full quality 90 and and showcase why you were the leading goal scoring team in in an NWSL this year and had a massive goal differential. And San Diego is difficult to break down. They're organized. Casey Stoney's done a really great job with that team. Uh, you know, the San Diego is probably going to take home as much personal hardware as any team in NWSL. I think Coach of the Year is likely among that uh, because. Because of they, they've they've had all these things right, uh, and they've done it all as, uh, as as an expansion team, and so yeah, I, I they're difficult to break down. I think the thorns are going to be have to be a lot sharper uh, than they have been at times, uh, and I think the the sort of Jekyll and Hyde effect that you point out is, is is a reasonable one. Game states are also huge in these playoff games. Game states decide these playoff games very often. What I mean by that, the game state is is, is sort of a uh, a soccer term of art for just the the score of the game and the effect that the score of the game has on the way the teams play. Uh, and you see them really amplified in playoff situations. So if a team gets in front, gets their noses in front, scores an early goal, that will affect the way they play more in a playoff game very often than it will in uh, in sort of just a regular season game. And it's because the stakes are higher, right? And so if you get that goal and you go ahead, then you're going to be a little bit more organized. You're going to be a little bit more conservative in defense, and you're probably going to try to hit on the counterattack more than you will. Then you'll want to expose yourself uh, and really open the game up. And how the teams manage those game states is often the biggest determining factor in who wins these playoff games. Uh, how well uh, teams are able to counterattack after they get ahead, how well teams are able to shut down the opposing tack after they get ahead. That is huge in these games. And it, and it, 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 I mean, you could just put a huge magnifying glass on it in playoff games and how well the thorns are able to do that. Uh, they didn't manage it well at all at Gotham, right? In some ways, even though it meant nothing for Gotham other than pride, uh, it was kind of a playoff game for the thorns and the thorns were a disaster in managing those game States, uh, in New Jersey. And, and that's something that I think is, you know, and, and frankly, if, if that continues, the thorns aren't winning the title period, that's disqualifying. You can't let games stay that open. You can't lose control of games like that in playoff games, uh, against good teams, uh, and, and expect that you're going to win one of them, let alone two. And so I, I think that's, you know, that's going to be huge. How teams respond to, uh, to changes in the game state. And I, I think you're right. We're probably gonna have a few changes in the game state. I, I don't see this being a, you know, uh, 120 minute March to zero, zero in penalties. Uh, it, I, now that I said that it, <laughs> maybe it will be that, uh, but I don't see it being, I don't see it being that I, I think these teams are too good. I think they have too many weapons. Um, and I think having played each other in a couple really interesting games, uh, 
so far this year. I think they know too much about each other for, for, for that to be the case, but we'll see. We shall see. It will be an exciting matchup 2 p.m. on Sunday at Providence Park TV on CBS Sports Network. Uh, one additional note before we get to a little Timbers offseason talk uh, is and that should be uh, some some fun stuff, uh, some some cynicism mixed with uh, mixed with whatever else uh, we we will uh, touch here on on the fact that the Thorns are donating a portion of their playoff ticket proceeds to three local charities. This is something that uh, was decided by the players. The players chose these three charities, uh, Girls on the Run, Girls Inc., and She Flies. Uh, According to a a team source that uh, spoke to me on this, uh, it will be at least $100,000, which it very likely will be much more than that, um, donated from from the ticket sales. It's it's every, every dollar, every cent, from ticket revenue after the costs of the game are covered. Uh, this is something that, that caused some confusion on Twitter. People were wondering, is it all the proceeds? Is it uh, proceeds after this point? Is it partial proceeds? The, the messaging wasn't clear, um, and people reacted to it as they so often do on, on the Twitter sphere. Uh, but it is all the proceeds after the the thorns team expenses are covered and after the game expenses are covered that's that's my understanding so you know i I know there's been some consternation about uh about why people reacted that to that the way they did uh and i just go back to something i said last week which is that it is a sort of top order priority for the thorns and the timbers right now to do everything they can to restore the trust that that the fan base has in the club. And when you don't have that trust, that's how something that may have just been a, you know, I mean, a, a little imprecision or a little, mis, you know, mistake or, or, or whatever it was, turns into something that is a bigger deal because people don't have that trust. Um, and so this is, I mean, this is sort of case in point uh, that, that, why it is absolutely critical for uh for the the thorns and timbers the club as a whole to do everything they can to restore that trust and i mean you know the the, the reasons that trust has been eroded uh ha- have been well documented <laughs> look around uh <laughs> google it um if you will but it, restoring that trust is 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 so critical to, 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 to what they need to be able to do to, to, to move forward. And I, I'll just sort of point that out. The other thing I'll point out, uh, I, I, through, through my partner, uh, have a, a little bit of, uh, a, a touch point with girls on the run. Awesome organization, really great choice, uh, by the thorns players, uh, in that respect. The other two are, are, are great as well. I just don't have any personal experience with them. Girls on the run though, is really awesome. Uh, so great call by them. Yeah, I think it's excellent that the that that money is going there uh at, especially given everything that's happened in the past couple of weeks. It it was the only option for for the the club and and I think that it was the right choice to let the the players take the lead on that because it's it's ultimately um their desire to have every single seat in that stadium filled come Sunday. They they want a packed house because Portland's got one of the best atmospheres, if not the best, in the NWSL. 
uh, second in attendance this year behind Angel City. LA is a big city, so that's that's nothing to shake a stick at. I, I think that um, it, it has the potential to be a very interesting atmosphere on Sunday of of both joy and elation and celebration of what these players have achieved, but also a consistent, loud, and uh, strong acknowledgement of of the obvious public failures that have happened with this club and and the criticism of it will come inevitably in the form of some level of protest or statement or whatever the the Rose City Riveters have in store so that will add another layer to what is already an exciting matchup uh moving on now to to the Portland Timbers uh our our pals on the other side of the club who we have nothing on the resume this year yeah they did actually nothing uh they (laughs) (laughs) they uh they didn't do what they needed to do at RSL uh, in order to make the playoffs. They just had to win or draw. They did not do either of and those things. And weren't, frankly, particularly close to either. No, no, they weren't really close to, to either one. There was a little hubbub about you know who got to play, and there was some social media drama with Eric Williamson and Gio Savarese. That's worth discussing. Some, something to keep an eye on for sure. Uh, and so they missed out on the playoffs. And, and so the news lately with, with the Portland Timbers is, is contract decisions. They declined the options on George Fochive, Blake Bodley, and Justin Baum Stieg picked up the options of Zach McGraw, Justin Rasmussen, and Diego Gutierrez in discussions to retain Nathan Fogasa. And they let Jose Carlos Van Rankin, one of the great foils of this podcast, uh, <laughs> they let, they let him go, uh, did not retain him after having him on loan for a couple of years. Yeah. I think there's not a lot of, of big overwhelming news, uh, in that regard. You know, Justin Rasmussen is a guy who I think showed some promise. Uh, I think Diego Gutierrez is a guy who sort of had his season kind of uh, truncated before it really got off uh, off the ground and a preseason looked like a guy who who could be interesting uh and so yeah i mean there's you know zach mcgraw is, is somebody who very much proved himself and, and proved himself worthy of uh of certainly a contract going forward uh and and you know likely in the discussion to be in regular have regular minutes next year uh so no big surprises from that and and you know, the writing has been on the wall for Jose Carlos Van Rankin for some time now. So, yeah, no real surprises there. This offseason, though, I mean, Ned Grabovoy is Donald Glover in community when he like in, in that in that like famous gif when he walks into the room after getting the pizza and like things are on fire and somebody's shot and like that is Ned Grabovoy right now. There are there are boy oh boy, <laughs> it's a mess. <laughs> There's a lot to do. <laughs> There's a lot to do. Uh, just from a roster construction perspective, the thorn, <laughs> the thorns. I just want to keep talking about the thorns because it's the happier subject. It's more fun. <laughs> it's, like, which is like you know, and <laughs> there's some stuff with the thorns. It's still yes, still soccer wise, this. yeah, much more fun. Uh, soccer wise, much more fun. Um, uh, I, I mean, from a roster construction perspective. They the Timbers have a really difficult offseason ahead. They have, by my count, three uh and maybe uh maybe four uh you know big contracts that I think they would like and to some extent need to move this offseason in order to sort of 
put themselves in position to make the changes that they need to make if they want to be competitive next year, if they want to have something uh, going next year. And I think that is, uh, that's, that's a challenge. Uh, I think that's going to be, uh, hard for them. You know, the, you, every MLS team sort of has one off season amnesty player who they can sort of buy out and wipe off their salary cap, but that leaves at least two or three other moves that the Timbers are going to have to figure out if they want to free up that cap space. And the, those four, just to be sort of clear about it, are Yaroslav Nishgoda, Jimmy Chara, uh, 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 Laris Mabiala. And I think there's an honest discussion that needs to be had about Sebastian Blanco too, uh, given the, the pretty minuscule role that he had sort of down the stretch this season. He certainly had, had a larger role and had a larger impact at, at times through the course of the season. But if, if what we saw in the last few weeks is his role in 2023, uh, and they're paying him a very high or max Tam salary, that's going to be a, significant drag on the roster. Um, and so I think that's a, that's a a hard conversation that needs, that needs to be had as well. And how do you do that? I think it's really challenging. We've started to hear some reports, uh, out of Poland that maybe, uh, there's consideration of a move for Yaroslav Nishgoda back to Poland. That certainly makes a lot of sense, but there are also reports. And I think this also makes a lot of sense that his, his salary is, is a real problem. Uh, for such a move, for such a transfer. Uh, you know, Lechia Warsaw is where he came from. He's very well regarded there. He was very successful there. I think there would be a lot of interest uh, in Warsaw and, and bringing him back. Uh, but, you know, I mean, the guy's making almost a million bucks. and, and Yeah, nearly a million dollars in total compensation, like 976000 with a salary of like eight hundred and five. Yeah, and, and, and Warsaw's not paying that kind of money. Uh, and when you transfer a player, one of two things that needs to happen, either the player needs to, needs to re, uh, re renegotiate a new contract with a new club or the new club needs to take his current contract, uh, or some other arrangement needs to be made, but that would be complicated from a, an MLS salary cap perspective. And so that's a, that's a difficult deal to, to, to work out. That's not an easy one. I think Jamie Chara, the 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 logical place again would be to go back to Colombia, uh, to go to to find a place in Colombia where he's been very successful in the past. But it's the same kind of thing. He's making even more, uh, and there aren't a lot of clubs in Colombia that are paying that kind of money in terms of wages. And so, where you know where is the where is the transferee club? And it's frankly unlikely that either Jimmy or, or Nish Goda are going to be walking away from the, the amounts that they're owed next year. I wouldn't, right? <laughs> if I, if somebody was going to pay me a million dollars to play soccer next year and they were like, yeah, we don't know if we want to do that. And I was like, well, that's too bad. I have a contract that says you're going to, uh, that's, that's kind of how that conversation would go unless something else could be worked out where I was made whole. And so I think the Timbers have hard decisions and hard moves that they're going to need to make with at least a couple, uh, maybe three, maybe all four of those guys. Um, and I don't see, and there, there, there are no obvious ones, right? There are no obvious. Oh, that's, that move is clearly, clearly going to happen. So that's not something they need to worry about. So there's that. I think we would be foolish to just dismiss the, I mean, pretty glaring signs of decision that we saw within the locker room. Uh, and particularly with Eric Williamson after that loss at RSL. Um, 
I think that's really worrying. Uh, you know, in, in any sort of design of how you would rebuild this roster for next year, Eric Williamson's a part of that. And I think there are real questions now about whether he wants to be part of that. And if he doesn't want to be part of that, that just adds another complication for, for rebuilding this roster. And go ahead. And no. And on that note, I, I am hearing that like he potentially is seeking a move. And, and that is something that um, makes sense given what we saw on Twitter. And uh, you know, the, the rumor mill obviously churns relentlessly in the early off season, especially after a disappointing season like the Timbers had. But um, that is what I'm hearing right now. So he's, he's somebody who um, you would have thought would be a building block piece that you build your entire team around uh, given his talent, given his ability and quality. But at this point he is probably more likely than not to end up in another uniform next year. And that, that is tough for the Timbers considering um, the other options at that position. It's really tough for the Timbers. And that, that's a, that's a, a nice little bit of news. Of course, you know, I mean, it is not un, uncommon or unprecedented for that to be sort of uh, uh, the, somebody's thinking at the beginning of an off season that evolves over the course of an off season, maybe as they consider other options or, you know, maybe the, a bridge is rebuilt that was, that was burned or damaged uh, at some point. So, you know, I mean, all of those things are possibilities, but this is the room that Ned Grabovoy has just walked into <laughs> and he's walked into it. Not thinking that, that apparently not thinking, I assume not thinking that he was going to be the guy making these calls. And so I, I think this is a, an extremely complicated, if the vibes for the thorns are complicated, this is an extremely complicated off season for for Grabovoy, uh, Gio Savarese, of course, is gonna is gonna play a, a significant part in that, uh, and and in figuring out how they're gonna get this roster to a place in twenty twenty three where it's competitive. Candidly, I don't know if they can. That seems to me to be a lot of things that they've got to get right, and that is that's hard. That's hard for a really experienced executive. Uh, it, this would be a really challenging roster for the best GM and MLS to turn over, uh, in, in one off season. Uh, and, and so I, I think it's going to be, uh, it's an enormous task. I'm not sure they can do it. I hope they prove me wrong, uh, as the partisan here, I hope they prove me wrong. Uh, and that this turns out to be more turnoverable than it looks to me, but at this sitting here right now, I'm not optimistic. Right. And, you know, I had heard rumblings before all of the, uh, off field shenanigans of the last, and let's not dismiss them as shenanigans. Let's the off field issues, earthquake. <laughs> the earthquake that occurred in the last several weeks. Um, before that, I had heard about moves that the Timbers were looking to make uh, to to improve their roster, and and those moves potentially being in the seven or eight figures. That that's a big deal, right? And and how that continues on and carries over with a new person in that lead soccer ops position, Ned Grabovoy replacing Gavin Wilkinson, who was likely the one leading the way on brokering those potential deals, uh, is is something to watch. These are the tangential and obviously much less important impacts of changes in leadership, right? No question. The, the other impacts are going to be felt 
um, and and are obviously more important than than the soccer stuff. But this is this is definitely one of those potential impacts. And and so, um, you know, how this offseason works out is is interesting from from that standpoint. The total base salaries for the Timbers just under ten million. Mind you, uh, Lorenzo Insigne with Toronto, 14 mil uh, <laughs> on right. his own, on his own last year. That's pretty wild. Uh, Toronto dishing out the the Canadian dollars for uh, Lorenzo. But uh, top five salaries for the Timbers, uh, <laughs> you touched on this on Twitter. It, it's it's kind of grim, to, to, really to grim. put it lightly. Um Jimmy Chara, somebody who was really a, a non-factor in most of the Timbers' last 20 games. Uh, he's the top earner at uh, $1.8 million total compensation. Sebastian Blanco, who's who by all accounts is over the hill, uh, $1.7 million total compensation. He's second. Nizgoda, nearly a million dollars at 976000 Felipe Mora, nine hundred fifty-five thousand for a guy who just was injured to start surgery. the year. Yeah, and just had <laughs> microfracture surgery, so he's not going to be back until partway through next year, and and, and probably and, a significant partway through next year with yes. the recovery after that. That's really uncertain. I mean, th- this is this is just what I'm talking about. This is like this this is you know, it's Donald Glover walking into the room holding the pizza with like somebody shot and somebody and like things on fire and and like it, it's. You know, and look, Gravelboy is is no spring chicken. He's obviously been around this front office for a long time. He's been he's been engaged in in this in the Timbers roster build over the course of the last several years, uh, and so it's not like he's walking into this completely, you know, green by any means. But my goodness, and look, you know, I mean, with, with respect to those high, you know, big money moves that that the Timbers were considering earlier. It's an elephant in the room, but I think it has to be acknowledged. I don't know what to make of it. I don't know whether it's real. I, I don't know. But like, is the the broader instability within the club, is that going to affect the the Timbers' ability and willingness to splash, you know, $10 million or more on a player or two? I have no idea. But that's a real question that exists and is reasonable and that, that people need to, to, to acknowledge as a bit of uncertainty. So this is, yeah, it's, uh, I don't, I don't envy Ned Grabovoy. It is, it is a really, really challenging, uh, off season. Uh, I think he and Gio have, have an immense amount of work and, and Gio is certainly involved in these sorts of things. I mean, the, the head coach as, as they should be, uh, is very much involved in, in helping to build the roster, but you know, the, the Timbers are going to open camp in about three months, which is a decent amount of time. Uh, but given the amount of work to do that strikes me as not even close to enough, uh, as, as that it is both, a, that is both a ways away. And also it is tomorrow, uh, because of the amount that, that, that needs to be done. So, yeah. And, and the situation with, with Williamson is, is, you know, we don't have a lot of detail about what's, what's behind it. Obviously there's something there. Uh, we don't really know. Um, but I would think if I'm the Timbers, I would be exploring any possible way to repair that relationship. Uh, if, if I can, uh, I don't know if that's possible, uh, cause I don't know what, what sort of the, the, the breakdown is. Uh, but it seems to me that that is one way to take what would be another huge issue to deal with 
off the table when they have several others <laughs> that are equally or more urgent uh, to, to to deal with. And, and look, you know, the Timbers need to spend more money if they want to have a roster that's going to be competitive. I, I think they've they've been able to sort of have a, a bit of a legacy roster for a while because they've had guys who have been in the club for a while and 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 who are sort of getting into a point in their career where they're not getting paid quite as much and, and those sorts of things that have understandably led their, you know, brought their wage bill down a little bit from where it's been historically. But that's not going to work going forward. I mean, they're going to need to make pretty significant investment investment in this roster if they want it to be if they want it to be shoot next year. Um, and, and I think there are, I mean, we've ticked off a lot of the questions. We've probably missed some, there are just lots of questions about it. Yeah. Uh, and, so. and we will definitely be able to talk about it more at, at length, uh, as the off season drones on uh, a few key dates for people to know November 7th, the trade window opens, uh, MLS teams can, can adjust their roster and trade with other MLS teams. That's a two day window, uh, because it, it closes again, the ninth, uh, prior to the expansion draft, uh, St. Louis city, all caps SC is, is joining MLS uh, next year. So they, uh, Yeah, an an interesting logo. Let's say, let's give him a little leeway. But Sam Stasekels uh, pointed this out on Twitter a couple of times in in a, in a piece for the Athletic. But I also just want to take a quick moment to drag uh, St. Louis for paying a max TAM contract to a goalkeeper in their expansion year. That is that is just awesomely stupid. Uh, that's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> like like the the hands down best goalkeeper in MLS. Uh, the, the the Blake over in uh, in uh, Philadelphia. Hands down the best goalkeeper in MLS. He makes like half of that. Uh, it is it is an insane decision for an expansion team when you like at, when you most need to be really efficient with the money you're making. They're being so stupid with it. It's gonna be awesome. <laughs> so they they get uh, a, a handful of of draft picks, expansion draft picks on November 11th. Uh, I'm not sure who the the Timbers will leave open to it potentially being selected, <laughs> but it doesn't anybody picked. No, it they're they're probably matter. not going to have anybody picked in that. Uh, the only person I could potentially see uh, getting stolen away is a young guy like Zach McGraw, uh, or or maybe some other young contributor. That I think he'll uh, probably be protected though. I mean, there are so it, look. One I mean, would think there's no reason to protect guys like Nishgoda, Mabiala, Jimmy Chara, uh, Sebastian Blanco. Like, there's no reason to protect those guys, right? Uh, and if a deal for Eric Williamson needs to be made. It should probably be made before that expansion draft so that the Timbers don't have to protect a guy uh, whom they're going to ha- have to trade. And if you don't have to worry about protecting those five guys, pretty easy to protect the remaining pieces on the roster that you care about. Uh, so <laughs> I, I, you know, I, I don't expect the expansion draft. It's been complicated for the Timbers in years past. Uh, there have been some uh, some nervous moments. I, I don't expect this to be one of those years. And November 16th. Uh, MLS free agency will open. Um, not sure how much the Timbers will utilize that, if at all. Um, their salary cap situation is a little tight unless they, prior to that, make some moves that, that make it a little easier. And, you know, in general, you know, MLS teams don't usually benefit much from free agency within their own league. Uh, a lot of what constructs the best MLS rosters uh, is is just you know transfers from from outside the league but that may change going forward though as free agency expands it's going to get bigger and bigger 
Definitely. Uh, as, uh, as there's more movement of in-prime players within the league. So, I, you know, frankly, I, I think that should be an area that the Timbers explore this year. MLS, sort of intra-MLS moves can be, can be impactful. Uh, I think they should also explore intra-MLS trades. Uh, Joseph Martinez. Please, please call Anna about Joseph Martinez, especially if the international transfer budget is is maybe not going to be as robust as as they they thought. Please call Atlanta about Joseph Martinez. Please, please, please do it. I'm begging you. Oh, uh, I I think that that move, you know, Martinez isn't without risks. He's certainly had injury issues, but he also isn't without a 30, like literally scoring 30 30 goals in a season uh, on his resume. That goes on the resume, unlike anything the Timbers, the Timbers did. And even when he's been uh, banged up in his moments when he's on the field, he's still been very impactful for Atlanta. So please call about Joseph Martinez. He definitely should uh, have a conversation with the catering staff at Providence Park prior to his signing. Yeah, probably some uh, or, apologies or that need to be soon made after. there. But, uh, a definitely. S- something needs to be smoothed over there. But uh, but yeah, for me, that uh, that that is uh, something that the Timbers should absolutely be exploring. But even, you know, those other uh, intra-MLS moves, they can often be ways to do to, to get contributors into the team in a cap-friendly way. Uh, and so they, given the situation that they're in, uh, they need to be exploring those kinds of things because they're going to have to be really, really, really efficient with the money they have to spend this offseason. Definitely. And uh, December 21st is the uh, 2023 draft. It's happening in 2022, but it's the 2023 MLS Super Draft. Uh, December 21st, uh, three rounds, reverse order of the MLS standings. St. Louis City SC uh, has the number one pick in in that draft. Uh, we'll see if maybe some, some nice young pieces come out of that for the Timbers. Uh, I, they picked a guy, Justin Rasmussen, who uh, projects to be a, a regular first team guy in the next couple of years. Uh, they did that in the last draft. So maybe they find, find a nice pick out of this one. Um, and that that's it for the calendar year for the, the Timbers. We don't quite know yet the exact date of, of camp opening up for them. It should be uh, early part of next year. This will likely be the longest off season ever for the Timbers after the shortest one, just because of the way that the world cup is structured and MLS trying to get back onto its regular schedule. Um, and, and the, the full season schedule has not been released yet either. So we don't know when they're going to, going to kick it off next year, both the longest off season ever and also not long enough. <laughs> yeah. I think they would like it to be even longer. Uh, just, just to, you know, maybe have people forget that they exist for a little while, uh, just, just for PR purposes, but, um, that will wrap it up for us here on soccer made in Portland. A good, good bit of discussion today. Uh, Thorns take on San Diego wave FC on Sunday at 2 PM CBS sports network. Uh, that's the, the big date. Everybody in the Rose city has circled this week. Uh, tickets are available, uh, with, with all of that, money going to uh after the coverage of game expenses and team expenses going to uh the charities selected by thorns players uh so so keep an eye out for that uh follow us on twitter at soccer maiden pdx like us subscribe to our podcast wherever you get them uh and listen in next week and we'll have reaction uh to, to that semi-final game and potentially a preview for a championship match for the portland thorns thanks for joining us